Hello and welcome to the SBS Tour de France podcast. I'm Jamie Finch-Benninger, substituting for Philip Gomes, and we are joined by Kath Bicknell and Anthony Tan for the second last podcast of the tour. Hi guys, how are you doing? Anthony. Hey. Hello, Jamie. How, how did you enjoy last night? I mean, it wasn't the most dramatic in terms of uh, general classification attacks, but... For the, for the break, it was a very interesting race and it moved about all over the place who was leading you. Yeah, I, I actually, it was so underwhelming last night. I wanted to see Kreuzinger move up to second overall, which he was at one stage. That was pretty much the most exciting thing. Of course, it was never going to happen because he's not a notable climber. He's a reasonable climber. But uh, yeah, for me, it was it was kind of emblematic of uh, the tour really I, I felt it's uh, this year I, we're probably going to talk about it tomorrow but it's I felt it was a bit lackluster uh, we we never saw we just saw Quintana sit on and as usual you know I I said yesterday that I didn't think Richie Port had it to attack and yeah I felt he was tiring it was uh, it came across to me in that in that time trial it goes to show Jamie I think you need to make your moves when you're feeling really good so we had mountaintop finishes at Arcale we had Vontu uh, Fino Emerson and uh, then there was another one but really you know he should have made hay while the sun sh- was shining on him when he was climbing well and I think that's why, apart from that puncture, that's why he didn't finish on the podium. Kath, you published an opinion piece on this called, you know, if only. Uh, should they be looking to, you know, grasp, grasp the nettle whilst they're in, you know, peak form, as Tanny's saying? Uh, I mean, I think when I was writing that blog, I was thinking we keep saying that as spectators, you know, and I'm sure Port and his team are thinking it a little bit, but they've been pretty good at going, well, okay, well, what can I do now? But... I think it's getting a bit boring that we keep saying, what if he hadn't had that puncher? You know, like I think if Froome had lost two minutes, he has a race strategy and he's worked on different strengths that he's not relying on a perfect tour to win the race and and that's what makes him such a scary contender. You know, like we saw him crash two stages ago, but he had a four-minute buffer that he'd worked on before that rather than saving it for the end, whereas... Whereas Richie's strengths mean we were waiting for that time trial stage or to see if he still had the legs at the end. And I think, like Tani's saying, you've got to attack when you're yeah. feeling good. But, you can't, you can't, you know, it's so easy to criticise these guys. But, man, like, I don't think I could do anywhere near that good after three weeks. No, but I guess, Kath, these guys are paid to do that. They're, they're professional athletes. I don't get paid to do that. I get paid to... Criticise really, <laughs> and 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 I'll I'll do that because, uh, like I said, Richie Port had never gone into a uh, a Grand Tour as a leader and come out as a leader. He's he's done that. I'll give him credit for doing that. And I think he'll take a lot away from this tour as well because of that yeah. experience. The next step for him is to go into a Grand Tour as sole leader and come out as a sole leader because perhaps the pressure would be different. Okay, I, I, yeah, we shouldn't really harp on the puncture. Uh, However, if there wasn't the puncture, he would be on the podium. Uh, (laughs) Say it one more time. I want to hear it one more time. (laughs) The thing is, uh, I just want to contrast the differences when, I mean, 
shit always happens at the tour. And when stuff goes wrong, if you contrast the way that Froome handles himself versus Port, I think they're very different mm. characters. Port has a tendency to feel sorry for himself. Froome just gets on with it. We saw in Von 2, he started running mm. without son bike, son velo. You know, then he had that crash. I mean, his crash was worse than Richie's on the uh, coming off the... Uh, Monte Bizan uh, two two days ago, much much worse, you know. But then he had teammates behind him, and then he used Garant. I mean, he finished the whole climb on someone else's bike. He spends a whole year getting himself set up perfectly, isn't he? and then has to ride a Category One coal uh, on someone else's bicycle. I mean, this is what maketh the champion for and me. That is Chris Froome. Difference for me too is like. Yeah, it's okay to say what's happened. And we've seen that disappointment so much from Richie Port, you know, in the post-race interviews and then he, he works out, you know, what to do next. But Froome, like his instinct in the media, like he only had about one media interview after that stage and his instinct is to, is to say, yep, this happened, you know, my knees hurt. I'm so grateful for my teammates today. I was so lucky it wasn't any worse and he's straight on to the positives. You know, he doesn't he doesn't show us that. He, he doesn't dwell on yeah. – because he, he knows that bad stuff happens at the tour because I think you caught it, uh, Jamie, yesterday. Uh, you said there was many moving parts to that stage, which there were. I mean, there were 100 things that happened. That was an exciting stage. But this is what happens when you've got a combination of the weather. You've got a podium, places up for grabs, uh, nervousness, and, yeah, you've got about – six guys in contention for two podium places. Uh, but this is the Tour de France. You come to the biggest bicycle race in the world and you have to ex- expect this. So it's interesting for me. Richie's probably got, you know, Cadell was the oldest. Uh, Cadell Evans was the oldest post-war uh, tour winner at, I think, 34 years old. So Richie, you know, he came into the sport a little late. You would think that he has at least two, three more chances. So I think it'll be interesting to see how BMC restructures itself. I don't think they can keep banking on Van Garderen. When you bonk two years in a row, I think for me it's a case in point how someone who gets a bit too skinny and they lose power, he always doesn't do well in in that third week. And, um, okay, you can go to the science boffins and then, you know, it just seemed to me he he was... um, He's, he's just too s- stripped down. Yeah, looking at other GC candidates now, I mean, is there anyone that's any, that's really surprised you? I mean, for me, uh, Aru dropped off nastily last night and after all the work that Astana had been putting in for him on the front of the peloton and Molima dropped off after putting in an attack. Was there any anyone who really surprised you on there, Kath? I mean... Oh. Adam Yates is a standout for me, and you see it. You see it happen kind of every tour, or every second tour. Someone who you're not super familiar with as the broader fan base, they they come and they're a young rider and they win the the best young rider competition, and they usually get on or pretty close to the podium. And Quintana did that for his first two tours, and Alberto Contador did it, and Yates almost did it, and. I thought that was exciting to watch and I sort of feel he's going to spend the rest of his career now trying to improve on that performance, but he'll be a marked man from now on. Yeah, and Tani, Louis Meinkes in the white jersey category, he had a great tour as well. Yeah, I would say, you know, these these guys, we, we don't know a lot about them, but, uh, you know, I, you, you see these guys and you go, okay, 
guys like Rodriguez and Val, Valverde, you know, who finished ahead of him, oh, you know, they they aren't going to be around f- forever. Well, no one's going to be around forever. I don't want to get too philosophical, but uh, <laughs> the thing is, yeah, he he's got there's there's a lot of room for improvement. For for me, I I just find the whole Quintana, his whole Tour de France though very enigmatic, inexplicable. I, I'm not sure whether we'll ever get the full story because he's not one to divulge that much. He's very um, he, he closeted, if you like. Um, but yeah, I mean Bardet. So if you look at can Port do any better than he? he's done this year perhaps he can but then Bardet's also improving the, the guy's only 25 years old so Richie's 31 he's the same age as Chris Froome Froome's not showing signs of slowing down so you know this is the conundrum that um, you face in, in this um, era where you've got quite a few contenders which makes next year's race perhaps quite Potentially quite exciting. Tanny's already looking 12 months ahead. Um, Kath, you um, mentioned, you were, we were talking before the podcast about how Quintana had some nice words to say about Froome and you wrote an article on the subject. Oh, I found some quotes on the internet and put them together into a little <laughs> news piece and, and I found this beautiful photo that, and, you know, to, for people listening at home, it wasn't from last night's stage, but it's from a different rain-soaked stage. It's a black and whiter and it's him riding next to Froome and you can see can see the effort that he's putting in and we've we've criticized him so much for not you know attacking and lighting up you know the world with that but he's 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 conserved his losses too like you don't get third by riding badly you know he just hasn't ridden extremely well I think I think Phil described it as struggling to the podium yeah (laughs) yeah and you know we saw Richie Port two nights ago have a crack and then went backwards and lost more time and we haven't seen Quintana do that either but yeah he he was really complimentary to Froome described him as one of his great rivals and and he seems happy with third too it's not to be sneezed at and we try to bait the riders as journalists sometimes to get the big emotional reactions but I really like when they respond with dignity like Quintana does yeah I don't think there's there's certainly no shame in finishing on the tour podium I think uh, and then Quintana is relatively young too so he he's got plenty more tours de France left in him I just feel it, it was it wasn't um, it was almost notable by his absence of attacking and perhaps the Quintana I've alluded to before is this is the type of rider he is he's, he's not one to go in 100 kilometer breakaways because if you do 100 kilometer breakaways you could you know um you could fall off the the general classification very very quickly but he said something's wrong too he says he doesn't feel right on the bike he says off the bike yep okay but when he's on the bike he doesn't feel the way he would normally feel so there's some homework to be done there to work out what's going on mm. but it's like you know when Cadell had a bad year one year and everyone said it's terrible and he lost something like 15 minutes in three weeks. Like if I have a bad day, I lose 15 minutes in two hours on a ride. Mm. Um, well, we haven't talked about the actual stage yet and it was uh, Yong Izgir of Movistar winning by 19 seconds from Jarlinson Pantano from and then from Vincenzo Nibli and Julian Alaphilippe. And what was... Uh, I really enjoyed the battle up front. It was it was a ding dong battle. It was going up and forward. And at one stage, Pantano and Alaphilippe got two minutes up the road before the final climb, and then they got reeled back 
by um, Nibali and Yoni Zagir, who seemed to be hitching a lift at that stage. And then it was just down the descent, and it was really, really fun to watch that that fight on the descent there, Tony. Yeah, I mean, the... the um the judges were deliberating over who would be the most combative rider at this year's tour. I'm sure you would say Rui Costa. And, you know, you have to say that it was quite, there was a lot of competition for who was the most combative. You had Rui Costa, uh, Peter Sagan, who's, who's going to win it. Um, you know, Alaphilippe, there was, there was about five guys who or uh, there was Pan- Pantano, Micah. I mean, they would have also Bennett been... as well. So, uh, so there was there was plenty of guys always in breakaways. In Alaphilippe was one of them. I thought maybe he was going to get it when he distanced Pantano, uh, but then Nibali, the shark, he he comes up as he does, and then he looked like he was going to win it. And then Izagir kind of shows him on the descent. I mean, that was uh, I've never seen anyone. Um, kind of gap nibbly on a descent but this this shows you that the the skill of these guys to ride down one of the most dangerous uh passes in in france yeah on on, on his on his bike and um yeah gap nibbly and then pantano also gapped nibbly too yeah i mean i suppose that's just a an entree i suppose for the final stage of the tour we're up to the up to the traditional processional around um, the Champs Elysees, do we? Maybe we should um, explain whilst the, why the tour is over for the GC at this point, because a lot of people, um, a lot of people who are a bit more casual observers of cycling, say, "Oh, why don't they still attack and have one last go?" But it, it's largely convention um, that that governs the peloton in this case, Kath. I guess so. <laughs> as far as I've watched, it's, it's the done thing that it's a slow procession almost toward Paris and you see riders, you know, having a drink of champagne out of the car and it really comes down to a few laps around the Champs and then that final kind of sprint for the the finish line. It's a, you know, a big honour for sprinters to win there. But Yeah, it's kind of like the... Uh, I guess what I'm gonna I've already decided my headline. I haven't written the preview yet, but <laughs> decided on the headline. It's, it will be the pre worlds worlds if you like, because the world championships this year will be in Qatar, uh, and it will be on a flat course. And so, the sprinters really haven't had a world championship since 2011. Well, that was in Copenhagen the year Cavendish won. So uh, this, and then obviously the Rio course in the at the Olympics is much too difficult for them. So this is all, this always comes about. And yeah, you have eight passages of uh, the Champs-Élysées and uh, then you have this massive sprint and then everyone goes and gets drunk. That's generally the protocol. Yeah. And thankfully the tour parties afterwards aren't heavily reported on by the, by the journalists. I think they're probably engaging it a bit in the product as well. Yeah. I mean, I used to get invited, and then um, I, I noticed that maybe the last three years I, I never got that invitation under my door. Not because of my behaviour, I think just because they, the bike riders don't want journalists turning up at the party. Okay. Um, interesting. The course might be the main event of the day. With, will um, be. Will be, will be the main event of the day from Kath there. And it has been very interesting, the additions that they've run in the past two seasons. And we've had Marianne Voss and Anna van der Bregen win the last two years, both times for Rabo Liv. Uh, and Voss is back again. She was injured last year and she just made her come back earlier in the season. And she looks like probably the favourite for the win here. 
Yeah, she's just had three wins in Germany last week and she yeah, she's a rider that scares the rest of the peloton. But it's, you know, the the women's racing has been dominated by Bowles Dolmans this year with Lizzie Armitstead and Megan Garnier, but they're both, um, they'll be skipping the course to focus on Rio instead like some other big names. So I think it's going to be a really exciting race. Uh, it's high stakes because the media are broadcasting women's cycling on this massive world stage with spectators there with the hype of the tour and we just don't see that in women's cycling. So the girls know the pressure's on, they want to animate the race, they want to show why it's exciting to watch and everyone who's not going to the Olympics sort of has a bit of a point to prove too. Plus it's a course that suits the sprinters. So Yeah, so we might as well mention the other sprinters that are on the card as well. There's Kirsten Vild from Live Plantour, um, Marta Bastianelli, uh, Chloe Hosking, the Australian from Wiggle High Five, and Tiff Cromwell, who's who's coming off a stage win at the Giro Rossa. So mm. Hosking yeah. too. Hosking, yeah, she won a stage at the Giro Rossa, and she won Chongming Island earlier this year. So she's she could be the leader sprinter if they don't go for Giorgio Bronzini, who's also you know a world champion and been been a very accomplished sprinter for a long time now. So, yeah, Chloe Hosking, decent chance for the win here. Uh, she, she, if she gets the chance, what, what do you think of chance of an Australian victory on the Champs-Élysées? Oh, wouldn't it be great for the profile of cycling for women? Um, she's, I mean, she's definitely a chance, um, but she's, she said she's nervous about it because it, just anything could happen. And, and last year we saw it taken with a little breakaway, so... I, I, it's going to be exciting. I, I'm really excited. And it starts at 10 o'clock. We're broadcasting it. You can watch it before you fall asleep. Because <laughs> I think the men's race doesn't finish till like 5 a.m. or something this morning. Yeah, well, I think it would go re- remarkably quicker if they didn't do the whole shampers out the window of the team car and uh, rolling along at about 20 k's an hour. Yeah, I mean, you think oh, 113 kilometres, it should be over relatively quickly. Yet, but uh, I guess it is, but they just also... Also, they start much later. Everyone is doing a transfer um, generally via TGV from uh, the Alps to to Paris, and then it's a massive kerfuffle just to to get yourself to the start in Chantilly. I mean, the only thing I know about Chantilly is it's famous for cream and lace, not that I'm into either of those two things. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. Or at the same time... Uh, well, I'm not into. Well, okay, yeah, maybe at the same time. I haven't tried that yet. Maybe on my in my rest month, Jamie, I might give that a, that a whirl. You get a rest month. We're we're straight back into work. I'm I'm covering the desk at SBS for a while. Um, Kath, final impressions from the tour because we probably won't hear from you tomorrow, will we? Unfortunately. No, we won't. I have a day off tomorrow. Yeah. So nice. yeah, what are your final impressions from the tour? I don't know. People have criticised it because it hasn't been the most exciting tour of all time. Um, But I think, I don't know, I think we want big reactions constantly in the tour now the way we consume it with social media. And I think there's been a lot of high points. I think Froome's really animated the race and surprised people in different ways. We've And we've seen what appears to be a much more human and a much cleaner tour. We haven't had any big doping positives or blowouts and we we haven't seen riders in invincible form because of that and yeah I, I've, I've enjoyed watching each stage unfold yeah and we haven't seen any um motors in bikes despite the 2000 tests from the uci either um yeah, great use of funding <laughs> yeah tanny um last well we'll give you a prediction for tonight because we're doing another pod tomorrow where we'll do our final impressions um predictions for tonight what, what are you thinking well i think marcel kittel wouldn't have hauled his 
massive behind over all these coals just to come to Paris and finish second. So I'm thinking the the, the big German. And the course, of course. Well, there's another big German too, Greipel, but... Yeah, he'd like um, a win too. I think yeah. he hasn't had one yet this tour. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll go with I'll go with Kittel. Okay. Um, I'll take another big German, Kirsten Wild, for the for the course. She's a massive sprinter. She her body type is so different from everyone else on the in the women's peloton, and she just kind of hulks over the bike. And she's by far the most powerful, I think. So we'll hopefully see her have a go. But you know, Marianne Voss is going to be a big favourite as well. Mm. Um, last last uh, last pick from you for the course. Uh, I mean, I'd say Voss is the obvious the obvious choice but you know you can't can't tell and that's why that's why we tune in that's why it's exciting oh uh, I, sorry oh, jamie i thought that i thought you were asking me for my pick on the the tour so i i gave you kittel as my pick for la course oh, he's not racing la course <laughs> no no oh. no okay so i'm gonna pick uh georgia bronzini i like her name is she I think confirmed she- I'm not 100% oh. sure she's confirmed because I know Chloe's definitely sprinting for oh. Wiggle High Five. Okay, well, I was oh, going okay. off an old team list, I think, so. Anyway, oh, okay. you can go for Chloe then. Okay, I'll go for Chloe. Yeah, she's mm. she's a good lass. And, and someone if, can fact check this pod and, and let us know. Yeah. I'll go yeah. fact check it once we're off the air. Yeah, well, actually, us uh, in the comments, please. And, yeah, so if you do actually want to find out who wins, you can tune in from uh, to SBS from 10pm tonight or you can go to your mobile device and follow us on the uh, Skoda Tour Tracker or streaming online. 